I'm Eileen Dunn and this is The God Slot. This week we devote our programme to a moral and legal issue which has been in the news regularly in recent times. Do we have the right to determine the time and manner of our own deaths? We address the subject in a form of a debate recorded here at Ratmines College. And the motion is, this House believes that as there is a right to life, there is an equal right to a self-determined death with dignity. Our auditor and timekeeper is Louise Hall, and Aidan Gregory will be looking after audience comments. We have two speakers proposing the motion and two speakers opposing. Each speaker is allowed four minutes, and at three and a half minutes, they'll hear this sound, Louise. We'll hear the same sound at four minutes when the speaker then must conclude. After all speakers have made their points, we'll open the discussion to the floor, and I'm very pleased to welcome our audience of students of journalism from Ratmines College. You're all very welcome. After we hear their comments, the key speaker from each team will have one minute to sum up, and then our audience will vote on the motion. Now, before we began recording, we took a poll of our voting audience and found a majority in favour of the motion, but they've promised to clear their minds of all preconceptions, weigh the arguments made by our debaters, and then give their verdicts accordingly. Each keynote speaker is partnered by a student from the college, so to begin and to propose the motion, I call on student Claire Whelan. Ladies and gentlemen, Myself and my debating partner, Tom, are here today to propose the motion that as there is a right to life, there is an equal right to a self-determined death with dignity. How many people would choose to suffer in pain and endure a painful and perhaps slow death over ending their life in a manner in which they choose themselves? Not many, I imagine. Euthanasia is defined as the practice of intentionally ending a life in order to relieve pain and suffering. The word euthanasia comes from combining two Greek words, which translate to mean good death. As we are all aware, despite modern medicine and technology, there are many incurable diseases. These can make any person's life intolerable. As of October 1997, the Oregon Death with Dignity Act became law in the state of Oregon in USA. It legalizes physician-assisted suicide. This act allows terminally ill patients to end their lives through voluntary self-administration of lethal medications expressly prescribed by a physician for that purpose. According to the Oregon Public Health Division, since 1997 to the beginning of this year, 673 patients availed of the assistance of the Death with Dignity Services. That is 673 people that were spared their suffering in a hospital bed, put out of their misery and free from pain. 673 mothers, fathers, siblings, sons, daughters and friends who were given the chance to end their life with dignity. Isn't that the very least that people deserved? Also, according to a study carried out by the same division, one of the leading reasons patients decided to avail of the service was that they felt they were a burden on their loved ones. Loss of mobility, speech or independence of a patient can be difficult for a family member in many ways. Hospital visits, not to mention the costs, can really take their toll. Keeping a loved one alive on life support or certain medications can prolong not only the suffering but the grief of family members. We all want to remember the people we love in good health and happiness and not suffering with an illness. Also, if terminally ill patients who wish to end their lives could do so, this would free up resources for other patients, such as medical attention from doctors and nurses, beds in hospitals and medication and treatments. 
Keeping a terminally ill patient alive despite their wish to die is losing precious time for someone with good chance of recovery. We all know hospitals in Ireland are constantly full and there are long waiting lists for treatments and operations. Other end-of-life concerns for the patients were decreasing ability to enjoy activities they love most and, very importantly, loss of dignity. Suicide was decriminalised in Ireland in 1993. Therefore, the term to commit suicide is no longer politically correct, as it is no longer a crime. So how is it fair that anyone today can freely and sadly, of course, take their own life, but someone who can perhaps no longer feed themselves is bed-bound and in constant pain can end their suffering if they wish? These are the people who need a release from life the most, yet it is illegal for them. You aren't physically hurting anyone by taking your own life. What you do with your own life and your body is your own business. So why should the state interfere? Your life is private. Shouldn't your death be too? It is regarded as kindness to have a pet put down if they're sick and suffering in pain. Why should it be any different for a loved one? Yes, you can argue a pet is very different to a human and that the pet has no say in the matter, but your loved one has a say, and what if it is that they would like to leave this world with dignity? Some people see suicide as a selfish act, but really, what is more selfish than stopping someone from ending their pain because of your morals and your beliefs? Euthanasia allows you to finally gain control over your life again after a terminal illness has taken over you. Thank you. Claire Whelan, thank you. And our first speaker opposing the motion is also a student of journalism, David Hollywood. Thank you, Eileen. I believe this is one of the most emotive and vital issues facing our society today, both at home and as an international community. I hope to speak as dispassionately as is possible when referring to assisted suicide because it's the practicalities and the realities that must be prioritised in this debate. Any steps taken to legislate for assisted suicide will set us on a path that has incalculable potential consequences. Before I reference the relevant examples that support our opposition to this motion, I want to reference a case study that does not yet exist. The hypothetical scenario is what we must consider when legislating, not just what we have seen and learned from the past. The hypothetical case study must represent the patient who has had a long history with mental illness. It must represent the patient with a learning disability. It pains me to say it, but it must represent the minor, teenager or child, if you will, who suffers from a terminal illness with no pain relief. That minor could believe, along with their family, that for an adult to be allowed such fundamental self-determination, and for that minor not to, would be an infringement on their human rights. Proponents of assisted suicide would cite the European Court of Human Rights for their support in the issue. Something that needs to be considered is the ECHR's margin of appreciation in balance with each country's respective constitution. In the words of the Irish Human Rights Commission, our constitution has, at its heart, the sanctity of life. Some of you may have been perturbed when I used the hypothetical example of a teenager or a child to illustrate possible dangers. Unfortunately, in some countries, this next step has already been taken. In Belgium, legislation has been introduced that would allow children to avail of euthanasia, provided they were competent to decide their fate and had an incurable disease with pain that doctors could not ease. Competent to decide their fate but not competent in the eyes of the state to purchase beer or drive a car. There is a contradiction in there that I find irreconcilable. I'm not saying that we're Belgium, but I am saying that when Belgium legalised euthanasia for adults in 2002, they would have never seen themselves where they are now, just 10 years later. 
Finally, in terms of reference and example, we have Kate Allett. Kate Allett was 40 years old when she suffered a massive brainstem stroke that left her completely paralyzed. Her prognosis was that she would never walk again, never talk again, and that she would have to live in a nursing home for the rest of her life. She had what is commonly known as locked-in syndrome. She was fully conscious and spent 16 weeks, three and a half months, wanting to die. Kate then emerged from locked-in syndrome to make a full recovery. That would have been considered strictly hypothetical until it happened. I mentioned earlier that the IHRC's assertion that the sanctity of life is at the very heart of our constitution. I worry that the essence of our constitution is being deconstructed within the time frame of a single generation. Our decision to legislate for abortion, coupled with a very real movement towards allowing for assisted suicide, devalues life. I say that while paying due deference to people's opinion on legislating for abortion. But the reality is, we are in a society that has moved to cheapen life on one hand and on the other make the termination of life ever more accessible. Regardless of where we are, or regardless of where we as a people and individual citizens fall on these two vital issues, we must be aware of the ultimate nature of life and death. Our children and their children will look upon our decisions and judge us accordingly. The House believes that as there, is, <clears throat> as there is a right to life, there is an equal right to a self-determined death with dignity. It is our assertion that dignity is self-determined and is subjective in the most ultimate sense. I believe I will die with dignity because of the understanding of dignity that I have. It is not for someone else or society to objectively set a bar for dignity and legislate accordingly. And it is for this reason and the aforementioned reasons that we oppose this motion. Thank you. Thank you, David. The keynote speaker proposing the motion is the coordinator of Exit International, Tom Curran. Uh, just like the food we buy, life comes with an expiry date. We're all going to die. None of us are going to be here forever. But unfortunately for some people, it also comes with a best before date. They're the people with terminal illnesses. Uh, very few of us know how we're going to die or when we're going to die but there is a small group of people among us that have some idea. Again, they're the people with terminal illnesses, and the prognosis for them is not good. Why should we as a society steal their right to a peaceful death? Everybody should have a right to determine their own future, and that includes how they die. I'm involved in the right to die movement for two reasons. One is very personal, in that my partner, Mary, who has MS, asked that she be relieved from her suffering if her suffering got too bad. That was 10 years ago. She's still suffering because it hasn't got to the point where she wants to die. It will be tragedy for both of us if that day does come. Tragedy for her because her illness will have got to the point where she can't tolerate it anymore. And tragedy again because she will no longer have a life. It'll be tragedy for me because I lose the person that I love. But it will also mean that while I'm grieving for her, I could possibly be the subject of prosecution because Mary has got to the point where she's no longer capable of exercising her legal right to take her own life. The legal right that was given to her in the Criminal Law Suicide Act 1993. But she has decided to continue beyond her own capability beyond the capability where she could take her own life 
and leave it in my hands when she makes that decision. Unfortunately, society then classes me as a criminal. Excuse me. Some of the arguments put up against allowing a person to choose for themselves include the religious argument of do we have a right to our own life or is there a God above us that has that right? And I feel that if you believe in a God and the God you believe in has the ultimate say over your life and how you die, then you live your life that way. I certainly support everything that you believe in and your right to live your life along with that. But please don't give, put those morals on me. There are people like myself who don't believe in God, and there are people who believe in a God but believe in a compassionate God and believe that God wouldn't want people to suffer. Let us live our lives the way we want to. We're not doing anybody else any harm. The whole issue really comes down to a matter of choice and rights. It's a choice that I want to make in my own life and other people want to make about their life. And it's the right as to whether you as society have a right to stop us. Whether you have a right to say that I need to suffer at the end of my life when I as a rational person don't want to. And the rational person is the important part. It's people who can make decisions for themselves. People who are rational. Other people would say that medical science suggests, or the advances in medical science say that there is no longer a need for me to suffer. And that is absolutely untrue. While medical science can help pain, it can't help things like incontinence, it can't help things like fatigue, it can't give me back my motor functions and motor skills if I lose them. Just to summarize and to finish up, I'll finish with a quote from an American journalist that to me summarizes the whole thing. And it goes very simply that some people want to eke out every second of life, no matter how grim, and that is their right. But some people do not, and that should be their right. Tom Curran, thank you, Tom. And our, finally, our keynote speaker opposing the motion is author, journalist, and public speaker, Mary Kenny. <clears throat> well, ladies and gentlemen, um, I come to this debate with a certain background, I suppose, in Judeo-Christian ethics, but I agree with Tom that we should also come to it with reason, and anything which comes into the pu public realm should be subjected to reason and to the common good. That's a very important principle, too. We do have individual rights, but not all individual rights can trump the common good. We must consider that also. I ha also have some personal experience in this realm. My husband is 83 and he's very, he's very disabled indeed. He's a stroke victim. And he doesn't really have any mobility except in one arm. For two years um, between 2011 and the beginning of uh, this year, he was in a, care, in a residential care home. And uh, during that time, he sometimes said to me, he indicated, sometimes in a quite a jokey way, that he would like to finish his life. He used to say things, I would say to him something like, would you like a cup of coffee, my dear? And he said, yes, and a loaded revolver. On another occasion, I said, would you like a glass of sherry? And he said, yes, and a chalice of hemlock. 
Um, and I would come to see him, and he would really look very, very miserable indeed. Well, fortunately, our circumstances changed, and I was able to bring him home and look after him myself uh, with the help of, of carers who can come in and support me. And that has changed things very much, and he hasn't made any of these requests since then. Um, and, and that's an example simply that somebody's life may be very miserable, but there are ways that their circumstances can change. Now, there's a very important consideration in this whole field, and that is the consideration of money. One of the reasons why there is an international uh, um, push, I think, for euthanasia is that it will save money. Old people cost a lot of money. They cost money to the exchequer, and they cost money to families. When my husband was in the care home in Kent in England, it cost us £80,000 to keep him in that care home. There would be a very utilitarian argument to say, save the money and bump people off, because that is what the temptation will be. There is a huge temptation to bump people off. We've heard the argument that we don't have... We don't allow an animal to suffer. No, we don't, because of course not, and we don't want humans to suffer either. But animals don't have estates to leave. They don't, have, they don't write wills. They don't divide money up between family and friends. Can you imagine the, the, the nightmare of argued legislation that could follow from the whole idea that you could terminate a person's life and pocket the money that is saved thereby, or the money that remains in their estate. I did have a conversation with my husband about this years ago, and he said, when he was absolutely in the whole of his health, it is asking for trouble, and that's what it is. It is also giving a very bad signal, I think. We have an epidemic of suicide. It's tragic. Young people, particularly young men, who are committing suicide, we should strain every muscle to say to these people, to say to people who are tempted to take their lives, this is a dreadful tragedy. A family will be bereaved forever. Are we going to give the green light? Are we going to give them the signal to say, it's all right, it's just a choice, it's your individual right. Uh, all the individual rights people are in favour of it. So if you wish to take your life, please do so. That would be a dreadful signal to give out. So I put to you, for the common good, yes, we must be compassionate and at all times try to uh, prevent suffering and try to give comfort, but we must not move down the road towards the deliberate killing of human beings. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. Mary Kenny ending the formal part of the debate. Now we throw the discussion open to the audience for comments, if any of you would like to make a contribution. Hi, Mabel Sullivan, Rathmines College. For me, I suppose on the one hand, um, I consider myself to be a liberal and in favour of people making their own choices. And on the other hand, I, I also believe that life is sacred. So I think it's a very tricky situation and I think a lot of people perhaps feel conflicted about it. So I suppose I'm, I'm, still, I'm still on the fence in the sense of battling between personal ethics and also personal politics, if you like. Um, I just think... Uh if you, if you open the floodgates uh, on this, if, you, if it's legalized, uh, do people like get a, a mental capacity test before they can apply for this? Uh, Conor Reynolds, student at Mines College. I think because it is such a complicated issue, in my own belief that if Ireland was to look down that road, it would have to be definitely a case by case and a very personalized 
there's the argument of you would start people that have land and wills and you don't want people to suddenly start getting bumped off. Bernadette Moore, Ratmines College. Um, if there was a panel who would make an independent evaluation of the situation so that uh, emotions were kind of taken out of it, um, that might be a way people can, could consider going. Okay. So thank you to our audience for their comments. Now we return to our two keynote speakers to sum up in one minute their case for or against the motion that this House believes that as there's a right to life, there's an equal right to a self-determined death with dignity. So I call once again on the coordinator of Exit International, Tom Curran. Uh, one of the issues that has been brought up is this concept of the mythical slippery slope, that if we do introduce a Debt with Dignity Act here, that the floodgates will open and everybody will be getting bumped off on corners or we'll have euthanasia boots like phone boots all over the city. Uh, this is a myth. It's conjecture. And the countries that brought in a Debt with Dignity Act had that fear as well. And every one of them have had studies done since the, since the Act came in. In Holland, a Remlich report was produced by the government every year. They're the, one of the most extensive studies that have been done is done by a Professor Batten, and she has done a study on every country that has introduced voluntary euthanasia or assisted suicide. And the two things that came out very strongly in her report is that the vulnerable in our society were not limited by this. They, they, they were not affected at all. There was no vulnerability. The second was that the number of deaths did not increase at all. And the, fa the second fact, what it means is that the same number of people died. They just died a bit sooner and they died without pain. And finally, to sum up the case for the opposition, once more, Mary Kenny. I think the audience um, really got uh, everything very right when they said it is a tricky, it is definitely a tricky uh, question. It is not a black and white. It is very complicated uh, and, and it is very, very sensitive. But there is, such a, there is a panel which does judge these things. It's called a jury. And very, very seldom, if ever, does a jury convict someone of a true mercy killing. Mercy killings do take place. They are nearly always considered with complete compassion and complete understanding. If I may beg to differ with Tom, there was a report in the Times of London yesterday, the day before yesterday, saying that the numbers of assisted suicide in the Netherlands has actually doubled in the last 10 years. So the trend is already there. I would say to you, it is because it is tricky, because it is difficult, because it is sensitive. When in doubt, say no. When in doubt, don't go forward with a very drastic measure which could indeed signal to people that it is permissible to terminate and to end human life when it's not convenient. Thank you. So now you've all heard the case for and against, so we'll ask you once again to vote on the motion that this House believes that as there's a right to life, there's an equal right to a self-determined death with dignity. All those in favour, please now raise your hands. And all those against? So, Louise. Eileen, the majority of the votes are in favour of the proposers of this motion. 
So as a majority has voted in favour, I declare the motion carried, though it has to be said that there has been a shift since the earlier vote. The vote in favour was not quite as big. Well, that's our programme for this week. Our thanks once again to Tom Curran, Claire Whelan, Mary Kenny and David Hollywood and to the journalism students from Ratmines College who were a most engaged and attentive audience. A special word of thanks to college principal Bernadette Moore for facilitating the debate and for all her help with the preparations. Thanks also to Louise Hall and Aidan Gregory and to Richard McCullough and Barry Kavanagh on sound without whom none of this would have been possible. Listeners' comments are always welcome. You can phone us on 01-208-2039, email us at godslot at rte.ie, or write to the Godslot RTE Radio 1, Dublin 4. We're back on air next week at the same time. So from Ratmines Town Hall, Ihawa is Banach Jair of Galair. Thank you.